Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, the government's flood inquiry hearings have wrapped up and we're trying to fathom the outcomes. The Code Governance Committee was the last to appear at the flood inquiry. The questions certainly heated up, but it won't be missed. We're just glad it was all on a live stream. Meanwhile, Suncorp's week certainly went swimmingly. First, they receive a positive result on the banking division sale to ANZ, and then they announce their results. And CGU are causing waves with their announcement over commissions, and insurance customers are getting flushed. Hello, everyone. This week's Intimate Affair. I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, Chairman Terry McMullen, and Senior Journalist Benice Han. Good morning, Wendy. Morning, Andrew. Can we wave goodbye to the flood inquiry? No, not yet. It's got quite a way to run. All right. Hello, John. Hello. What are we going to be talking about in the coming months? I can't think of a, a water-related pun to come back with, I'm afraid, but uh, plenty of interesting stuff, that's for sure. <laughs> you could just call me a drip. Hello, Benice. Hi, Andrew. I was under the impression you weren't here, but I should have realised because you've done all the work around Suncorp, haven't you? Uh, have I? <laughs> <laughs> And hello, Terry. Good morning. It's been quite the start to the year, hasn't it? It has. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of controversy and a lot of a lot of things and a lot of promise for this year. As long as as long as nature actually is on the industry side as well. Well, so the government's flood inquiry hearings have wrapped up for now, Wendy. And one of the last to appear was the Code Governance Committee. Yes, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, scrutiny on the code, you know, because of um, the number of breaches and and whether there's enough in enforcement. So the the committee has said it wants to see the code strengthened as part of the uh, review that's being carried out by an independent panel. So Prue Monument, who's head of the Code Compliance and Monitoring at AFCA, said the committee uh, supported it also being registered uh, with ASIC. And on compliance, they want to be able to uh, name insurers in, in breach reporting data. But, you know, the, the government's the governance committee already can uh, order an insurer to compensate someone uh, for, for losses suffered due to a significant breach and publish that fact. And it can impose a financial penalty called a community benefit payment of up to $100,000. But, you know, Mr Monument said that they have never actually imposed that penalty, partly because there's been some legal complexities they had to sort out. But that's now being done. And, you know, mostly they prefer to sort out and fix issues with an insurer. But but she says there are they are certainly willing to impose that penalty if necessary. Does the code need to bear its teeth more often, John? Yeah, I think so. If only to show that these sanctions are not just empty threats. It's not just the $100,000 payment. As Wendy says, the Code Governance Committee does have the power to name and shame for significant breaches. But as far as I'm aware, it's never done that either. And yeah, it's it's to be applauded that the committee wants to work with insurers to fix problems rather than use the sort of stick approach. But on the flip side, what's the use of a sanction if you if you never use it? And after the 2022 floods, breaches absolutely soared, as we've seen, and we've had all the insurers apologising for their failings. So if the sanctions haven't been used following that event, then you have to wonder whether they ever would be. And when you have MPs in these hearings saying, well, what are the consequences for breaching the code? Because there don't appear to be any, then it's kind of hard to argue. We know there have been some issues, as Wendy says, with setting up how the $100,000 payment works, but the committee was clear in the hearing that it is now ready to go and they do expect to use it. So watch this space, I guess. 
The inquiry also heard from Munich Re on flood exposure, Wendy. Yes, well, uh, Munich Re's Australian head, uh, Scott Hawkins, um, said that, you know, flooding is certainly an issue in a lot of countries, but Australia has a, a high level of exposure when it comes to insurance coverage for flood. You know, in the UK, it was mentioned that they've set up um, Flood Re to address the issues, but he says Australia, despite its smaller population, actually has more insured properties exposed to flood than Britain, which reflects Australia's topography and historical development along rivers and the continued building in the wrong places. But um, basically, he was warning against, you know, shifting a lot of the uh, flood costs around rather than actually addressing the underlying issues and, and you know, generally getting more serious on, on mitigation. So, you know, he suggests there's really some urgency here because the problems are only going to get worse, really. Yet another thing we're better than the uh, POMs at, John. It was Suncorp's turn to report results yesterday, Benice. What are the highlights for them? Yeah, so first half insurance profit, that's uh, 510 million. Uh, That's up 51% from a year ago. I guess the key consumer and commercial businesses, um, the GWP are all higher from a year earlier. And that's to do with the price increases that's been pushed through to address inflation. So Steve Johnston, the Suncorp CEO, says says he knows it's been challenging for customers with cost of living pressures. And he spent a fair bit of time during the earnings call to explain why insurance costs is going up and why the affordability issue cannot be solved by any one party alone. So he says climate change, the reassessment of Australia and New Zealand risk by global insurers, the planning mistakes of the past and now inflation, they have all converged to put the uh, upward pressure on insurance pricing that Australians are currently facing. So affordability is a big thing right now for uh, the insurance industry. So um, insurers can can improve efficiency, et cetera, but that is not enough. It has to be a coordinated effort. And by that, he was referring to insurance tax reforms, changes to land planning, et cetera, yeah, to address the affordability challenge. Well, I'm struggling to afford my Vegemite each week, but are they right, Terry, that affordability isn't a problem insurers can solve on their own? Well, yeah. You know, over the past couple of years, we've seen how devastating a series of large-scale natural catastrophes can be. And as the frequency and overall cost to insurers rise, the premium has to reflect that. You can solve the affordability problem over a longer period with mitigation, which isn't the insurer's job. So the only way for the insurer to be able to keep covering or to keep offering cover is is to charge an accurate premium. So yeah, affordability is there. It's a big, big issue for customers and for governments. And of course, for insurers who can't charge less, And as I said, lowering the level of risk isn't actually the insurance industry's job. It's certainly not the job of Suncorp or any other insurer. Well, we sneaked it into last week's podcast, Wendy, but remind us what happens next with the proposed bank sale. Well, it still has a couple of hoops to jump through, but I I think it's generally expected they won't be too much of a problem. I mean, firstly, it's possible the Australian Competition Tribunal's decision uh, could be appealed, um, but I think that's probably fairly unlikely. But um, in Queensland, there has to be an amendment to legislation. The government there has secured some um, specific Queensland investment commitments from Suncorp and ANZ. So they, they've been uh, pretty keen for it to go ahead, I think. And then it also has to be uh, ticked off by the uh, federal treasurer. But um, Suncorp's sounding confident that they now think that, you know, they've always thought that the deal could be wrapped up, you know, by the middle of this year. Well, going back to our broker newsletter from last week, Bernice, you had a chat with CGU about commissions. 
Yeah, we uh, had a quick one, quick chat with Jared Hugh, the CEO of CGO, about uh, commissions, specifically about the commission rates for personalized products and if the insurer is planning to adjust the rates. So Jared, who runs the intermediated business, says the insurer expects to make a decision very soon. Uh, it's still still in discussions with its key broking partners. And he says the focus of those discussions is affordability. So adjusting commissions, he says, is one way of um, addressing the rising cost of uh, insurance to the end customers. So um, at the same time, CG also focus on reducing running costs and trying to look at all ways to moderate the price going to the end customer. So I mean, as we reported previously, consumers are feeling the effects of premium rises. So when home and motor insurance costs you know, increased 16% last year, and it's the biggest jump since 2001, according to the ABS. So um, Holler has really cut commissions for home and land landlord products, and starting in March, QBE commissions for home products will be reduced too. Yeah. Do you expect more of this kind of thing as the cost of living crisis continues, John? Yeah, I think so. As Bernice says, uh, CGU isn't the only one that's thinking about this kind of move or, or has already, some of the insurers have already done it. When insurers are facing criticism for putting premiums up as their customers at the same time are struggling to deal with inflation, it's, it's probably only natural that the insurers look for ways to minimize those premium increases. As we know, insurance taxes get flagged a lot as a complicating factor. And broker commissions is another area that the insurers can look at to bring the cost to the customer down without impacting their own margins. This does seem to be happening mostly in personal lines at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see whether it spreads beyond that if the cost of living pressures don't ease anytime soon. And I suppose the other interesting point will be how brokers react. You know, at what point do they decide personal lines are not worth their while if commissions keep dropping? So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Well, a blast from the past, but COVID business interruption disputes are still making headlines, Wendy. Tell us why QBE was hauled before a judge last week. Well, actually, there are, there are four insurers facing a class action uh, around this, and QBE is one of those. So the federal court last year finalised an agreed process and wordings where letters would be sent out to some 90,000 policyholders across all these, inviting them to register their interest in a class action. Uh, and in the case of brokers, they were going to get an email advising them to pass the notice on to clients. So this is part of deciding whether or not the class actions ultimately do go ahead. QBE, ahead of sending out the official communication to brokers, gave them a, a heads up first that this was coming, which what they sort of says was to, to be helpful. But it also gave the impression that sending that notice out to clients was just an optional thing that the broker could do or not do, really. So the lawyers on the policyholder side got wind of this um, complained and they all ended up back in the federal court and QBE was ordered to send out a corrective notice um, apologising for sending sending the, the heads up email and saying uh, brokers you know should have regard to the court's request and, and provide a copy of the court approved notice to their clients as soon as possible. This isn't a great look is it Terry? Oh, well it's embarrassing for QBE and it's a bit bewildering to me as to exactly how that happened but Whoever made that decision would have presumably done so after consulting the lawyers. If he or she didn't ask first, then yes, it's not a good look. It Look, it, yeah, it's not a good look, but it, it's hardly the end of the world. Well, speaking of the end of the world, 
Finally today, Terry, the latest edition of Insurance News Magazine will be available very shortly. Yeah, it sure is, Andrew. It's always good to get some views on the Australian market and what's going on elsewhere from a, a foreign viewpoint. And W.R. Berkeley's president and CEO, Rob Berkeley, was out here recently. And the interview that we obtained with, with him covers a, a lot of ground. Rob's got his dad's incisive wit and his clarity of thought, and he has his own visions on where the market's going and how Berkeley works into that. But his views on things like the insurance cycle and the changing profile of the London market after Brexit are really illuminating and, and worth reading. And the magazine also has our annual survey of insurance leaders and quite a bit about the weather, Andrew. And we have an interview with Peter Daly as he rings up 70 years in insurance. And if you're curious about Envest, one of the fastest growing brokers in the local business, we have a profile of this enterprising mover and shaker. And it's also worth noting that the driving force behind Invest, Greg Mullins, will be a speaker at our upcoming conference on March 19, Andrew. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks, Benice Han and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.